For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Greetings, you are listening to or watching Cantus Firmus. And I have Jackson Farrell here today. Jackson Farrell I've had on in the past, but it's been a while. Uh, and uh, Jackson has uh, done all kinds of cool graphic design projects. And uh, the uh, it's called Chocolate Bible. Am I saying that right? Uh, chocolate Book. Chocolate, chocolate book. book. Thank you. Where he uh, would uh, give really interesting, helpful uh, commentary as he read uh, scripture and enjoyed chocolate. Um, but lately, you have given up. Is that correct? Um, I have quit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, have, I have quit everything. Um, no, not, well, not exactly. I've been kind of biding my time. I'm not really working on any projects lately, but if you want to see the Chocolate Book archives, you can go to chocolatebook.net. It's been so long that I had to remind myself, uh, whether it was .net or .com. Um, but there's, you know, I, I am proud of the stuff that I wrote at, uh, Chocolate Book. And I actually, um, you know, I was working my way through the Book of Exodus, I left off at Exodus like 25, 26, and I recently wrote one paragraph that I have not yet published about uh, Exodus 26. Yeah. And I've got my graphic design stuff. You can see my portfolio at uh, bigjstudios.com. Uh, and from time to time I do commissions and I update my portfolio every now and then. I actually have something I did recently that I need to put up on my portfolio. Mm -hmm. So go check it out and it will be up soon and there will be more things for you to put your eyeballs at. Yeah, and you actually you did the uh, cover recently for my book Unhitched. Yes, yes. I think that, did I put that up on the website? I can actually check that right now. <laughs> so that, so that's that, makes for good, that, that makes for totally entertaining podcast material. <laughs> um, you guys, you listeners should go to Big J Studios where hopefully uh, it will be up by the time you listen to this because right now it's not. Yeah. The, the, the cover that I did for Cody's book. It's a cool cover though. I need I like to it. add that. It is yeah. a good cover. I think it's it's good. Good. it looks very nice. Um, um, but, but the important thing is mostly I've quit. Mostly I've quit. And can I tell you something? I find that refreshing and liberating because I find um, that I'm very overwhelmed with all the things that I want to do. And I keep doing things and mostly they don't get noticed. <laughs> and yeah. so um, at a certain point, you start to think, why am I doing these things? Yes. And if, if I could, um, you know, just stop, if I could just quit and, um, you know, uh, look at my daughters every now and then, um, say hello to my wife and, um, you know, play, play video games and um, look at more memes. I think that would be just yeah. so... Um, I don't know. So liberating. Yeah. It's, it's like, why, you know, I just ask myself, why am I screaming and jumping up and down and waving my arms and wasting all this energy mm -hmm. when I could just chill out. And so if anyone else out there is thinking about quitting, I would, I would encourage you to strongly consider it, you know, yeah. Yeah. weigh the pros and cons. I, I, I will say in all, in all seriousness, I think that's the reason why, um, whatever you're doing is your side gig, you have to actually just be able to enjoy it on its own sake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or for its own sake, because if you're kind of always expecting to, to, you know, make money or be successful with it, and I think you're going to burn out pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, it's got to, it's got to give you something back. Yeah. And if that thing isn't money, then it had better be like fulfillment or enjoyment or something. Yeah, you know, just something. Back rubs, something. Yeah, back rubs, totally. Yeah. Well, <laughs> roller skates, ice cream. I I've asked you here because I, I kind of was working through something um, uh, in kind of scripture, um, just kind of theme theme that I was noticing throughout scripture, and um, well, not just that I was noticing. Um, I've been working actually um, uh, in a class on biblical theology of holiness, and so this was something that sort of came out uh, that I was spending a little more time looking at. 
and um, did some, uh, you know, kind of word studies and trying to sort of follow trajectories uh, through the Old and New Testament. Um, and so I thought it would be cool to have you on as I work through some of the stuff, because I find that I, I, I do a better job um, working through things, figuring out things when I have somebody intelligent to bounce it off of. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And um, so uh, this episode is going to have a longer title. And it is, Be Perfect, Surely You Can't Be Serious. I am serious. I am serious. And don't call, and me, don't call me Shirley. <laughs> I love it. So... Um, and those who, those who can see the visual who are watching, you can see the, you can see the image there. So, um, so yeah, so, but we're, what we're kind of starting on is this, this thing in Matthew 5, 48, where, uh, Jesus tells, uh, his disciples, actually anybody who's listening, anybody with an earshot, uh, to be perfect, uh, just as the heavenly father is perfect. And, um, just as their heavenly father is perfect, our heavenly father is perfect. Um, and uh, that little, you know, sentence there has caused a lot of consternation because uh, we think perfect, uh, you know, who's perfect? Who can be perfect? That's That standard is kind of ridiculous. Yep. Um, and so, but nevertheless, he said it. <laughs> so yeah. um, we've got to figure that out a little bit, what he means by it. Um, it's like, if that's where the bar is, then how do we reconcile that with the fact that he died for our sins, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, that. that is the question. <laughs> so, yeah, so, and I think when I when I, I kind of mentioned this um, to you, you had uh, sent me a, a link to a study that you had recently been reading on this, and there's different ways to kind of approach this. I think what you had sent me was focusing more on the, um, uh, just kind of the meaning of that word in the Greek New Testament? Yeah. Right. And, and how so, we talk about perfection, not just not just in Greek, like how the word is used and what it means, but also like how we talk about perfection and you know why that's why that fits. Um you know, I, I feel like I should give a plug to that uh that guy and his yeah. blog, you know. Go ahead. Um so this guy's blog is the River Walk. Um and I I always get his blog stuff in my email so i uh yeah it's the riverwalk.org um and his uh his post that he did on perfection um i uh he, well i you know i feel i feel like i should also say that in general there was a period of time where he wasn't updating for very much you know he too had quit and then he started updating again which is the great thing about quitting you can always quit quitting um, so he, he quit quitting, and one of his recent posts was talking about how perfection means suitability or fittedness, or how there's that sense of that, both in English and in Greek, you know, that um, to be, uh, I mean, I'm, it might be interesting to, to ask how, you know, how accurate that sense is, and how that jibes with the notion that the Heavenly Father is perfect, mm -hmm. you know. Um, because like there's, uh, this, you know, we talk, we talk about, um, like you might, uh, a woman might say to, uh, to her friend, your husband is perfect for you. Doesn't mean that he's perfect, you know, but it means that he's a good fit. He's a good match. He's perhaps even the optimal match. Um, we talk about things being perfect for things that, that was sort of the, the gist of this blog post that uh, this guy at the Riverwalk uh, did. Gotcha. Well, and and, and so yeah, there are different ways that I think you can um, try to follow something like this. If you come across like a, a word like this in the New Testament, most of what I have in my notes is going back to um, how words like that are used in the Old Testament, um, mm. and you know. Some of them are translated into the Greek, uh, you know, uh, teleos, as it is uh, in Matthew 5.48, which means perfect. Um, if you were to just look at the New Testament, though, apart from that uh, passage, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We also have Matthew 19.21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So there, there seems to be this connotation of... Um, something there's something lacking in this person that if you were to make this kind of 
strong commitment to Christ as primary or central and sort of giving up all these other things, um, that would make him perfect. Um, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there, uh, perfect has this, um, it's kind of put on a parallel track with good and acceptable, um, has to do with right behavior. First uh, Corinthians 2, 6, and a few other places you have this notion of, I think perfect is like maturity, yet among the mature or perfect, uh, we do not impart wisdom uh, although it is not a wisdom, oh, sorry, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Uh, and you, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So here you have perfection contrasted with something that is um, not complete. So th there's a connotation sometimes of completion or maturity. Um, mm -hmm. Now, are, are all of these uh, uh, instances of perfect, are they this, the same Greek root as teleos? Yeah, so that yeah, these are all Tleos, Tleon, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tleoi. And that like that like really has that strong connotation of having completed or being complete, having reached, you know, like I I think of the the whole anime thing. This isn't even my final form. Like if, if you're Tleos, you yeah. this is your final form. Sure. You know, that's that's one sense in which it's often used. Um, it, it could be. It could be. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I would have called the super scion Christianity now that you say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, that probably is the sense in which, you know, it's God, which is why we always depict him with, like, the spiky yellow hair, you know, pointing upwards, you know, to, to signify his holiness. That's good. Yeah, that could be. That could be. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and so, and so I mentioned there's other places where this mature me, uh, sense comes in, so that has to do with kind of reaching a certain point. I'm trying to see if there are any other ones that are really helpful here. Um, Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature or perfect in Christ. Uh, um a few instances in Hebrews. Solid food is for the mature or perfect. For those yeah, who the have, grown ups. Yeah. So in this sense, you have this kind of idea of of, of having reached a certain point. Um, that being said, um, is it possible to have a kind of perfection even as an as an immature Christian or as a new Christian? Um, and that that's something that kind of is debated. That I'm hoping we'll maybe get a little bit of a sense of as we're as we're looking at this. Um, because James 1.4 talks about um, uh, let, steadfast, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, and I guess, you know, is it possible that you could, you could be lacking in nothing even as a, as a new Christian? Or is it something you have to have grown a little bit, spent a little time with God? Um, and so if perfection is all about reaching this point, then I guess maybe the answer is no. But if perfection also can have this sort of connotation of... Uh, being complete or full where you are in that moment. So maybe being, for example, fully committed to Christ. Jesus tells the uh, the rich young ruler, uh, all you have to do is give up all your riches and you'll be perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that, like, like being what you need to be at that moment. Yeah. And what the rich young ruler needed to be at that moment, what God wanted him to be was poor, apparently, <laughs> or at least to have substantially less stuff. It, well, he does say all your possessions, doesn't he? So he, he needed to have no things. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and perhaps the reason for that is, you know, the man walks away because he can't do it. The suggestion is, I think, that um, he is not as committed to God as he thinks he is. He has another yeah. idol, something else that stops him from giving his full commitment. Yeah. I think that's what Jesus is pointing out when he says that he's not perfect. Yeah, and if you talk about, like, James saying that, you know, perfection is lacking in nothing there's no deficiency there's no thing that should be there that isn't you know yeah. and like they're um you know I, th I think about i think it's james himself that uses the whole metaphor of refining i'm sure you know that you see that in various places in the new testament you know you put metal into a crucible and you refine it and like that's part of the process of the christian life god is refining us in a fire yeah and like even in that case like if the metal you need is there already, like if the, if the base thing, it's just got all these other, all this other crap, these impurities in there that need to get, get burnt away and, 
kind of churned out in the slag of the, the crucible refining process thing um then you know it's it's like if all those things are there that shouldn't be there as long as what you need is there the base you know the the base the raw stuff then that's you know that's that's a kind of perfection yeah being what you need to be burned off the yeah 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 absolutely that makes sense well and i think in particular this this guy the rich young ruler who, who asked you know what do i have to do to be perfect um Jesus says, well, well, what are the commandments? And he, you know, he lists them off and, and he says, well, the, the guy says, I've kept all these commandments. I've kept them, you know, since I was a young guy, you know. So yeah. um, so as far as like his behavior, if you were to look on the surface, he's doing everything right. But obviously there's something in his motive or intention or his heart that's not quite there. And I, I will mention one more place where uh, this teleos word is used in the New Testament. Uh, it's in First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So in this case, a perfect love is a love that is not like, like kind of example you gave. It's not contaminated with this other stuff. Um, it's it's full. Um, and so that can kind of give us some idea if we go back to maybe what Jesus is saying here. But the other direction I would go um, is not by looking just right in the New Testament, but I would look backwards into the Old Testament because. Uh, incidentally, Jesus, as much as we this, this kind of verse sticks out to us, he's not saying anything super new. Um, there's, there's a lot that's in this that you actually are going to find in the Old Testament. And so uh, I guess one question I do want to ask if, as we're talking about perfection, um, historically, there have been two ways that the Sermon on the Mount where he says this have been interpreted, because uh, he's giving all these really sort of strong, aggressive, um, you know, commands where, uh, for example, it's okay. Well, Moses said, don't murder. That's fine. But if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you've murdered him in your heart. Um, and so, or, or, you know, G, uh, uh, Moses said, don't commit adultery. That's great. You don't commit adultery. But if you are looking upon a woman to lust after, you've already committed adultery. And so what Jesus sort of does is take this down to this heart level and, uh, you know, makes the commandment perfect, <laughs> I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, there have been people like, like Martin Luther who've argued, well, the Sermon on the Mount is basically just there to make us feel bad um, because there's no way that we can do any of the stuff that Jesus says. And he's giving us this high standard. And the whole point is that we're going to read it and go, well, I can't do that. So I guess I'm just going to depend on God's grace and just give up trying. Um, <laughs> and then on the opposite spectrum, you have, um, um, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit here, but you have um, these kind of followers of John Wesley who have uh, emphasized this strong um, sense of Christian perfection or um, entire sanctification, which has different, there's different ways that can be understood. But part of it is like that at some point after you are saved, there may be the second work of grace where the Holy Spirit zaps you and cleanses your heart of original sin. And you are now able to live above willful sin. Yeah. It's like God has made perfection available to you. Yes, you know, like, but it's not something that you have access to until that moment. Yeah. So if you don't know to pray for that second work of grace and you never get it, then you'll just sort of be floundering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either floundering or foundering. I'm not sure which one it is, but, yeah. um, but yeah. So I, I'm interested in kind of figuring out if if either one of those sort of holds up, or if there's maybe another another path here as we're looking yeah. forward. You know, when you when you were talking about the Martin Luther thing, I'm not sure that this really. I'm not sure what this might add to the conversation, but I did think of that uh, Derek Webb song, A New Law, you know, mm -hmm. where he basically says, what's the point in, you know, a law that you can achieve, which sort of pales in comparison to the, you know, that, that was the thrust of the lyrics that, you know, you, you here's all these people who are reaching out for this sort of inferior law. And Martin Luther's like, yeah, yeah, the, the real law is the one that you can't possibly achieve that is uh, that is intended to uh, make you aware of your own imperfection, your shortcomings. And, yeah. and yet, and yet Jesus says. Be perfect. <laughs> yep, as God himself is perfect. Yeah. Well, so I, I want to look at this perfect language in the Old Testament. Um, before I do that, I want to mention that there's a, a similar idea, if not using the same language, um, that comes up in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which are, which, you know, something that, that Jews will repeat regularly. It's part of their, their regular liturgy. And it's uh, called the Shema. 
Um, mm -hmm. And it's uh, because of the, the first word in Hebrew is Shema. Shall we, shall we recite it in uh, Hebrew? In Hebrew? Yeah, I can recite Let's it in Hebrew. do it in Hebrew. Okay. One, two, three. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. So in unison. And that's Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And even though the word perfect isn't used there, I mean, all your, every part of it, the whole, and, and even all your strength, um, I think uh, it's a Hebrew word, is it me'od, which means basically muchness. very? Yeah. All your muchness or all your very? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so my, my dad likes, my uh, no, my dad doesn't just like that. He loves it. He is enamored with muchness. With muchness? Yes. Well, but but what is muchness if not perfection? Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, like, it's, it's completeness, right? It's all of you. Yeah, it's it's magnitude, it's bigness, it's everything you are. Yeah, so I mean, we, we go back to this is something that is I think so central to Judaism, and also it winds up in various ways uh, referenced or quoted or or alluded to in the New Testament. Um, and and so here we have way before Jesus says, "Be be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." We have love the Lord your God with everything you are. Complete. Love the Lord your God completely. Yes, right. So all, all of your hearts, right? Yeah. So um, there's kind of piggybacking off this. All did you all just your say hearts. all of your hearts? Yeah. Like all of your hearts, like like your Doctor Who or all, something. All the peoples, all the people. Oh, hearts. okay, that's different. Never yes. mind. Yeah, all the hearts that you have. Yeah. Um. So, but 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 you can kind of piggyback back off that a little on that a little bit. And there's this other term that shows up in the Old Testament uh, of perfect heart, um, which is uh, lev shalem or levav shalem. Um, shalem, of course, is related to shalom, which means like peace. Mm. Um, um, levav or lav is lev is heart. And so it's like this kind of completeness of heart. Uh, you could also call it wholeheartedness. Um, uh, I think uh, the, new, the King James Version pretty much just translated perfect heart every time it shows up. I'm not mistaken. Uh, the NASB will translate it whole heart or blameless heart or wholeheartedly. Um, and so there, there's an, a good non-theological use that gives you an idea of it. Uh, it's First Chronicles 12:38, which ha refers to the unreserved attitude of soldiers who came to Hebron to make David king. So they came with one heart to make him king. Is the idea. So we don't have here the sense of perfection, uh, but of a heart singly focused upon its purpose. Um, we also have, um, it's used of kings who serve God wholeheartedly, although they don't, they, they're not, um, they're not sinless. So like David is referred to as somebody who, uh, who follows God with a Lavav Shalem. Um, and yet we also know that he sinned. Um, so we have those instances, for example, in first Kings 15, 14 and second Kings 20 verse three. Um, it's also referred to, uh, there, there's a king who, um, uh, does a lot of the right things, and he's congratulated for that in Second Chronicles twenty-five. But it's stated that he doesn't do it with a perfect heart. Which king is this? Let me pull it up here because I shout him out. I just forgot his name. I don't want to. It's kind of rude to shout him out. I think, but yeah. <laughs> oh, because it's because it's kind of a backhanded compliment, huh? Well, because yeah, I'm I'm basically telling him that you know I'm basically saying this guy screwed up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, he's like he's like the rich young ruler who kept all the commandments and didn't, didn't give away all his stuff. Yeah. So it's it's Amaziah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it says in Second Chronicles 25, uh, verse 2, uh, what he did was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Mm. And um, so it talks, if, if you go on in this chapter, it talks about all these all this great stuff that he did. But then it goes on to say, talk about idolatry that he committed later in his life. And so there's a, a possible, um, well, a likely, I guess, reading of a, um, a perfect heart in the context of the Old Testament here is that it has to do with not um, falling into idolatry. Mm -hmm. So you're basically, you've got one God and that's it. You don't, you yeah. don't divide your heart amongst other gods or your, uh, your yeah, div like divided attention is kind of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I think so that, so there we have this kind of notion of, so if we really push that back into Deuteronomy six, uh, maybe loving God with all your heart uh, at minimum has to do with uh, not having 
any competition for God in your heart. Yeah. Right. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're never going to make a mistake or that you're never going to sin. Um, but it does mean that, that your, your life is focused, is patterned by this sort of, uh, central focus on God. Yeah. Um, Adonai Echad, one Lord, one God. Yeah. You got it. Well, and, and so then, um, the word um, that generally gets translated as perfection just on its own in the Old Testament is in this kind of a tamam word group. You sometimes see tam, tamim. Um, and so you have it sometimes applied to God or his attributes. Um, Psalm 1831, Job 36.4, Deuteronomy 32.4. I'll pull up one of those as an example. Psalm. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to type it because it'll be faster. P.S. 18, wait, yes, 1831. Oh man, I did a, a number sign. <laughs> so the three. Psalm pound 18. What am I doing? Oh, I have to do PSA. Dang it. Mm. The computer's not that smart, huh? Well, I'm using BibleWorks. I just haven't used it much lately. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to Hopefully, I can remember to cut this out. All right. This um, is your musical interlude entertaining you while Cody searches for the verse that he's searching for. This is the musical interlude repeating itself while Cody searches for the verse that he's searching for. Hold on. I have to switch my Bibles here because there is no 1831 in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, we should <laughs> probably <laughs> this part. Okay. Psalm 18. Because they're they're in a different, you know, the Psalms are in a different order. All right, Psalm 1831. Uh, for who is God but the Lord, Yahweh, and who is a rock except our God? Where does perfect come in here? Because I'm reading an English translation. You're looking for that Tamim, aren't you? I'm looking for Tamim. Tamim something. Tamim. Give me one second here. No, dang it. I was, okay, I'm going to cut a lot of this out. It's actually Psalm 1830, not 1831. Uh, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. So probably in this case, perfect, I guess, doesn't have much to do with like completeness. It's, it's probably saying that God is perfect in the way that we would generally use the English word yeah. because we're applying it to God. Um, although you could... Uh, derive a meaning something like blameless. His way is blameless, um, because the tamam, um, the tamam word group can't have that connotation. So, um, for example, it is applied to unblemished sacrifices in various places, including Leviticus three six. So it's an animal that doesn't have a blemish. Um, it's also applied to imperfect men who loved God but didn't worship other gods. So it's applied to Noah in Genesis six nine to David Psalm eighteen twenty four. Um, and it's also Israel is commanded to be perfect in Deuteronomy. See if I can do this faster. 18, 13. Uh, you shall be blameless. You shall be tamam before the Lord your God. Um, in, in the Greek Septuagint, when that's translated into Greek, uh, that's the word teleos. So it's the same word that shows up in Matthew 5, 48. So if Jesus were to pick up a Greek uh, Old Testament, that's what he would say here. You shall be yeah. perfect before the Lord your God. But it seems like these uses of tamam, I, I just want to make sure that I'm sort of on the same page and getting, yeah. the, getting the vibe, is that it's like uh, measuring up to the standard. Like if, if you're blameless, then no one can fault you for coming short of the standard because you, you measured up to it. And that's like what it's saying about God back in that, uh, what was it, Psalm 1830? Is that kind of the idea? I think, yeah, blamelessness is often a connotation. It's got some range. Um, so... Yeah, I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying that it means exactly that in every instance that you mentioned there, but that, that seems to be the general trajectory, kind of. Yeah, there's a sense of wholeness, completeness, without defect, blameless. Yeah. Um, so, Which yeah. is what you'd get if you followed all the rules, I guess, yeah. kind of. Something yeah, like and, 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 and it, it, there are other things that sort of come in. So, like, um, there's a, a handful of... <laughs> Greek words that will translate tamam into, um, in the Greek Septuagint, when they start translating it, the Old Testament into Greek. Uh, so you have the teleos word that we spoke of. Um, they also, uh, there's words that refer to like equal measurements. 
um, which kind of gives, I think is kind of gives you some idea, um, it has to do with like something being uh, correct or balanced or fair, uh, or maybe blameless, you could even use there and that would still work. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes, um, anyway, so, so. <laughs> well, well it's, it's like you, like if a merchant used fair scales to, to weigh your transaction and the money you pay him for the stuff that he gives you, yeah. like then you, you couldn't fault him because it was a fair deal, yep. you know? It was yep. tamam. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. So anyway, okay. So that's, uh, that gives you some idea about tamam here. Um, all right. So <laughs> um, I also want to mention um, that this idea, actually, wait, if I, I'll see if I have this in my notes, because if I do, then I won't mention it now. Um, I'll just go ahead and mention it now. Um, this also, so, so we have this idea of perfect in the Old Testament that Jesus is pulling from, but we also have this idea of um, being like God, right? Because that also comes from the Old Testament. So if you pull, look at to, for example, Leviticus 20, verse, verse 26, uh, God says, be holy as I am holy, which is pretty much the same thing as be perfect as God is perfect. It's not the same word. It's not to mom, um, but it's, it's, you know, referring to some kind of, uh, well, holy doesn't always have a connotation of ethicalness or, uh, or ethicality, ethicalness. Set Ethic. apartness is the idea, yeah. Here, right? Yeah, but, but, but that sort of over time takes on this meaning of um, kind of morally upright, although it doesn't entirely have it there from the beginning. Yeah. Right? It's like that's, that's what, that's the differentiating factor that makes you holy, makes you set apart. Yeah. Is you're, that, that you're doing the right thing instead of the wrong. Yeah, and, and yeah, in some cases, yeah. So, so um, holy in the Old Testament is, like you said, is this notion of set apart, and what it basically means is you're not common. So, something that's holy is not used for common things; it's used for special purposes, um, usually some kind of uh, religious purpose. Um, in fact, the first time uh, a word that word shows up in the Old Testament is in Genesis in reference to a temple prostitute. Oh. That's not what I was going to guess. <laughs> oh, uh, I was, was going to guess the seventh day, you know? You know what? You know what? You might be right about that. Hold on. Although I'm, I'm not sure that God actually says the seventh day is holy until long after oh, okay, the first so, seventh day. Yeah, so he sanctifies it. So that's the, the verbal form. Yeah, but, yeah. but as, as, as far as a kind of nounal or, or adjectival form, I believe the first time it pops up is in reference to a temple prostitute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, God isn't saying that the temple prostitute in her work is exceptionally upright. Um, she's, <laughs> they're saying that the point is that uh, her, she is set apart for a special uh, cultic purpose yeah. or service in a temple. Anyway. Um, and she, this is of course- Or like you'd, like you'd use, um, you know, the, the menorah and other religious paraphernalia that get described in the, um, like, a, I guess, toward the end of Exodus and, mm -hmm. You know, the, like those those things are all holy because they're part of what is used to do the holy religious things, the things that aren't common, yeah. the things that are the seventh day of religious practice instead of the six days of ordinary work. Yeah, and, and in religious connotation, as far as um, the religion of Israel, something is holy if it has some affiliation with Yahweh, right? So the temple's holy because Yahweh's presence is there, and the items in the temple are holy because they're... <laughs> Not just there for set apart for religious purpose, but specifically because they have an association with Yahweh. Yeah. Um, so, to be holy as God is holy, then becomes kind of complicated because well, what does it mean for God to be holy, and then what does it mean for my for me to be holy if, if I'm following in His footsteps? But um, there is some expectation that's there in the Old Testament that um, Israel is supposed to imitate God, and Jesus uh, takes that. Uh, notion as well and attaches a different word which is this word teleos or perfect um which doesn't which also as i mentioned he doesn't pull out of thin air so he's kind of taking these all these sort of um trajectories in the old testament and sort of putting them all together uh in this passage um so yeah so holiness is not the same as perfect but i think it's a related concept so we can kind of smuggle it in yeah um it's helpful okay. it's just on it it's a lens yes yeah yeah you got it. So then if we're to kind of jump back into Matthew 5 and try to pull all this stuff together, um, 
I guess that there's a few things I, I would sort of say in summation, which would be, um, you know, one is that it seems that God already expected Israel to be perfect in their heart toward him, to love him wholeheartedly. Um, and, you know, not only is that, it's not just like in some little, you know, tiny out of the way place in the Old Testament, it becomes part of the, cent the center of Jewish religion. Um, and, and I think if, if God could say that in the Old Testament, I think we should ask how much more uh, should it be said of Christians who have been given a new heart, according to, uh, you know, Ezekiel 36, 26, Romans 8, 13, and other places that we've been given this new heart, that the Holy Spirit's living inside of us. And so that, you know, if it could be asked of, of uh, Old Testament believers, then it should be more than reasonable to expect it of New Testament believers. Um, now, I didn't go too much into other places. We kind of talked about this word teleos in the New Testament, but you have other terms like, um, uh, well, this word that entire sanctification comes from in the um, in the Wesleyan or Methodist tradition. So if you were to look at 1 Thessalonians, we'll start first in uh, chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that, me, that, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So that before Jesus comes back, Paul is praying that their hearts would be blameless in holiness. Uh, and that comes up again in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see sometimes different words are coming in, but they're, they're basically suggesting the same kind of idea. Um, and so th this doesn't like, get dropped in the, uh, in the New Testament. This sort of shows up in different uh, different places as well, not always using the same language, but with the same basic idea. It's like where the vultures are, there will the body be. But the body here is perfection. Yeah. I think I know what you mean there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of misappropriating a metaphor, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's like they're, you know, that's, these are, these are all different ways of pointing toward. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, I follow that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and so also this, this whole thing about loving God with your whole heart, Jesus makes that, um, that in addition to love your neighbor as yourself, basically the center of Christian ethics. So there's, there's this is pretty high standard, love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, this is what it means to, to follow the law or to follow, you know, God's law. Are you holding in a sneeze or did you freeze? Did I lose you? I don't know how the video is going to look when it's uh, when it's up online, but it looks like right now he's holding in his knees. You there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I just I just got a bad lag. Okay. Um, as we were. <laughs> you looked like you were holding in a sneeze, and then you sort of stopped, and so then you just looked yeah. like like you were feeling really superior. Yeah, and and you were completely frozen in mid statement as well. I, right. I Sorry didn't, about that. it didn't occur to me that you looked like anything particularly silly. Gotcha. So you could be glad for that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit like, uh, you, uh, do you remember the Monty Python upper class twit sketches? Where they kind of no. walk around their nose up in the air. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I got you now. A little yeah. bit like that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I, I think kind of looking at the way that this word perfect or perfect heart, all these things, these kind of similar words pop up in the, in the Old Testament. Um, I don't think that we should expect that we're always going to follow God's commands perfectly. Like, I think that that's not really what's being communicated. I know the word perfect in English may have this connotation of, um, you know, just being completely flawless. Um, but that doesn't seem to be, for the most part, what you see in its application in um, the Old Testament. And, uh, and let me see one second here. I had a, something. Oh, I was going to go to another passage I had, but I think I wrote down the verse wrong. Uh, <laughs> I think, though, at, at the same time, there is this. Um, I think that seeking to follow God's commands is the natural result of loving Him, and I think that's expected. 
that if we love God, that there will be a change in our behavior. And so even if that doesn't mean that we all always do it perfectly, it means there is going to be a change. Um, yeah, I, I think I've got another metaphor. Okay. Like um, the, you know, if, if you think about the, in mathematics, like a function that's asymptotically approaching a certain value, you mm -hmm. know, as, as the, as X increases. Yeah. Um, you know, Can you give me a, a metaphor that's a little bit more highbrow because I feel like this, you're just like really going to be talking. Oh, about yeah. Like I should, I should bust out like the multivariable calculus or the, uh, the Einsteinian relativity, right? <laughs> you know, for, for all the math nerds listening to this podcast, this one's for you. You know, you've got the function that's, that's asymptotically approaching, um, the this particular value as uh, you know as as x increases um, and uh, you know the the idea with an asymptote is that the function is never going to get there it's never going to no matter what value you plug in for x it it doesn't equal y at any point but in this case the completeness the perfection is the function it's like if we have this heart for God we're going to approach His will like more we're gonna that's gonna be our goal that's gonna be what we're shooting for and we're gonna get closer and closer to it you know and i like probably would once again emphasize that that happens by his grace you know it's not like we have yes. bragging rights or any garbage like that but you know that's that's the idea it's it's the approach like the approach is the wholeheartedness that's good that's good and actually um kind of to put it another way there's there's a term that um john uses in uh, his first epistle uh, in first john um of walking in the light right so um if yeah. we walk in the light as he's in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin so john here is assuming that sin is something that you know it's something that we've had and could have in the future um but if we are walking in the light uh, if we are um you know, loving God and seeking to do what's right, um, we can count on on His forgiveness for 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 the things that we do mess up. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you hear that, Cody? Do you hear that? It's, it's hear what? I think it sounds like DC talk. I want to be in the light. Oh, you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. I thought maybe you meant I don't want it. I don't want it. Want it. I don't want it. You're <laughs> No, I, well, that's kind of in the background there too. <laughs> but no, I was I was thinking of the other one, which I, you know, I, I can't help but think of. I have, I do know the song you're referencing. I, I did not really grow up within Christian culture, but I, uh, when I became a Christian, I uh, started listening to Christian radio because I thought that was what was expected of me and that it would help me somehow. Mm -hmm. And it didn't. Been there. Yeah, didn't really that much. Um, but um, you know, I did start to learn some of those crazy christian tunes <laughs> yeah um and i i grew up with them in the youth group so you know there's that my background there yeah well and, and i the, think the point the point is being in the light yes you know? yes 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 and, and, and i mean um and john goes on uh he makes a connection here to behavior right because he talks about people who make a practice of sinning um are um you know practicing lawlessness and, and then he says, no one abides in Jesus. No one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So there is a connection between, uh, you know, having this clean heart and your behavior. Uh, although it doesn't, it's just not a, a connection that means that you're never, ever going to mess up. Like that's, that doesn't, yeah. that's not going to, that's not, should, you shouldn't expect that of yourself. Yeah, it's, you, it's not, a, the point is it's not a habitual practice of sin. It's not like part of who you are, you know, like you can point at the sin and be like that, that was different that was i don't i don't want that you know yes yeah you got it yeah and so um as a i i think it's it's important to be careful here because i think that the way that um sometimes uh wesleyans people who follow john wesley have talked about this they have made it something that seems unattainable i think for many right because you kind of have to keep praying for it sometimes there's this expectation that there's going to be some emotional experience that comes with it and that once you've had this you're now living above willful sin and i don't think that's what you have what you do have is the holy spirit's living within you and uh he is giving you this ability to to love god in a new way and that you continue to seek that and to grow in that that you don't let go of it um 
and that if you're seeking to do what's right, then you know you're on the right track. And it doesn't matter if you do it perfectly, but um, but if your heart is right and you're and you're doing what you're supposed to do, that then then you know, well, not doing what you're supposed to do. If your heart is right and um, you're seeking to walk in the light, we'll say um, yeah. that you can count on God to um, to be patient with you. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like you're you're going there, you know. Yeah. You're going there. You're on the road. So um, now I'm going to mention one other thing, and uh, this is where I get a little less ecumenical, I think. Um, If you look at the context in which Jesus says this, Matthew 5, he has been talking about all these things that God expects us to do. Um, He says, you know, you've heard it said in the past, um, you know, he, you know, the, he who uh, commits adultery, uh, you, know, you, you should not commit adultery, but I say, don't look at a woman with lust in your heart, so on yeah. and so forth. And then he ends with these kind of series of uh, kind of nonviolent commands. Um, he talks about, uh, you've heard it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say, don't resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, cheek turn to him the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, uh, as the practice of uh, Roman soldiers were um, would would sometimes ask uh, were allowed to ask um, uh, their conquered people to uh, carry their pack for a mile for them. Uh, and Jesus says, "Well, if somebody forces you to carry it a mile, carry it too." Um, and, um, and then he goes on to say, "You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven." So there's this modeling after Jesus, or modeling after the Father notion again. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Uh, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? There, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus makes this connection that being perfect means um, loving your enemies. And I think this is where it kind of, I think, it really kind of uh, comes down on Martin Luther a little bit. Martin Luther looks at this passage and goes, well, this is what we can expect when Jesus comes back. This is how we'll live then. But for now, um, we're just going to kind of put a little stamp of approval on uh, hating our enemies and warfare and all this other stuff um, because we can't expect to live up. We can't expect to live up to it. And I think not only does Jesus say, uh, yes, I do expect you to be perfect in the sense of, you know, the biblical context of what that means. um, But, what that means, at least in part, is that you love your enemies. Um, and so I'm, I've kind of moved out of the realm of, uh, of, you know, Methodist John Wesley and thought and into sort of Anabaptist, uh, you know, nonviolence or whatever. But um, yeah. I do think it's important to make that connection. And, and that's not entirely new either, because you have plenty of places in the Old Testament where um, uh, love for enemies is uh, commanded or encouraged. Um, but Jesus makes it a condition of perfection, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, all this does go back to God's grace because yeah, Jesus does not expect us to do this without the grace of God. And you froze on me. So waiting for you to unfreeze. I will enjoy a sip of my beverage. Well, I wait for you to unfreeze. Yeah, we, we hit a lag spot. That's I think we're out of the lag. Yep, I see you now. Here you now. So uh, anyway. talking talking about expectations. Yeah, I I I can't remember what I wrapped up there. Um, yeah, I talked about um, Jesus. Yeah, expecting us to love God with our whole hearts and love even our enemies as ourselves, and how um, He doesn't expect us to do that without God's grace, but He does expect us to do it with God's grace. Yeah, which um, is a fair expectation. You know, Martin Luther's argument was, I, I think, uh, you know, and I risk painting with too broad a brush a person's argument who's, <laughs> you know, who I haven't really read much directly of. But, you know, it, it seems like his his interpretation of that was based on a dichotomy between idealism and realism. Like, this is what we must do here here in the real world. And, you know, we, we can't be expected to live up to this. And it's, it's like, I think the 
Christ-based counter-argument to that would be like, no, there's no dichotomy between idealism and realism when the ideal God that can give you the strength to do these things is very real. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Luther, I think, hit on some things that were true, but he did so from a vantage point where I think he was um, perhaps even neurotically concerned with his own sin and, and you know, how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he had felt that the Catholicism, the Roman Catholicism uh, at the time, you know, that he was living did not give him the proper tools to deal with that. Um, you know, he was somebody who was constantly in confession, even though he was a monk who, you know, <laughs> lived yeah. a life of chastity and service. Um, and, and yet he just felt that there was something he just couldn't measure up, that there was some, there was some lack in him. Yeah. And, and, and I, I want to be careful when I speak about this um, to not um, create that kind of mindset in people who might be listening, that I'm not saying um, that God expects you to never do anything wrong yeah. um, or that, you know, you're going to do everything perfectly in the sense that we use the word in English. Yeah. Um, and God, God, the perfect God does not want you to live a life obsessed with that difference between yourself and perfection that gap that you know that hideous nagging gap you know he, do, he doesn't want that he wants you to like enjoy the the life that he's giving you yeah you know? but 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 i think he also does want you to ask the question am i am i am i loving god with my whole heart yeah right yes absolutely that's and why I, he commands it yes <laughs> to get you to get you thinking about it yeah among other things you know like it's so, so I don't know, you know, I, I, I could see where I, I worry that this could be discouraging to some, um, but, but, but I think if understood in the right context, it shouldn't be, it should not be. Um, I think there's a danger in a kind of expectation of absolute perfection because you're not going to have it, but there's just as much a danger in the kind of stuff that Luther was saying where it was like, ah, don't worry about it. Forget about yeah. it. You know, God's gracious and sin boldly. And don't worry about it. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I'm I'm kind of um, in, in in this study that I've kind of I'm walking that kind of uh, that line um, between those two extremes and uh, and also hopefully uh, um, applying it in my life as well as I can. Yeah. Well, here we are on the tightrope again. Yeah. So anyway, that's pretty much all I got on this, Jackson. Yeah. Uh, do you do you want to quit this episode now? Um, we could, unless there's anything else we want to say. Um, I'm I'm good to quit. Okay. Yeah. Well, then we will go ahead and quit. Uh, this has been Cantus Firmus. I'm Cody Cook. My guest has been Jackson Farrell, and he's been uh, helpful and chatty and um, thoughtful. Uh, I think there was one I had you on where. I think you were kind of quiet and I kept saying stuff and you'd go, uh-huh. And I yeah. thought, I think I must not be saying anything that makes any sense right now. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> uh, but, but I've, I've improved. I've, I've grown as a person. And uh, Cody, I want to thank you for having me on the podcast. It has been a pleasure talking with you about this stuff. It's always a pleasure talking with you, Jackson. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. I'm going to hit stop recording.